Hello and welcome to another episode of the Growth Podcast. I am really excited today to have Christina Rubino, who is the head of offline growth at Right Side Up, joining to talk about podcasts as a growth channel. Christina, thank you so much for joining. Oh, Matt, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So why don't we get a quick background on you and then we'll kind of open up and jump right into the topic. That sounds good. Yeah. So I've been in some form of advertising and marketing for the last 15 years. I actually went to college for it. I love this stuff. I grew up in New York City. I worked there for the first decade of my career and then moved out here to the Bay Area. I've had a really varied career. I've done a lot of digital media. I've done a lot of paid search, display, a lot of communications planning, and a lot of offline. And so I've been on pretty much all of the different teams, in-house, agency, consulting, et cetera. So I have a pretty unique perspective. And now I'm fortunate to lead the growth practice at Right Side Up that focuses on offline marketing. Primarily, uh, one of the biggest channels we work in is podcast advertising, uh, which is underutilized by a lot of major brands, but pretty well utilized in technology. So uh, I love talking with companies and helping them learn how, not just with podcast advertising, but with offline marketing, how you really can prop up these channels as channels that drive meaningful customer acquisition for you. It helps you kind of lessen your reliance on some of the more traditional, as anything in growth can be traditional, but more traditional growth tactics like maybe paid search or paid social. So I'm excited to talk about it. Not enough companies are doing it. Yeah. And it feels to me like podcast advertising is a bit of a black box, at least from my perspective. We don't advertise on this podcast, so I, I don't know too much about it, but it seems like it's a little unclear, like how you measure output and all that stuff. So at a high level, like everyone knows how popular podcasts have become, right? If you're listening to this, you know that yourself. There's a lot of forward thinking or some forward thinking brands like ZipRecruiter that have really taken over ad spots across a lot of different podcasts. And it got passed on to me that Christina was the master of making this channel work at scale. And so I jumped on a call with her about a week ago and she said, and I quote, this stuff slaps referring to podcast advertising. So that's when you know someone really is excited about any specific topic. And so what I want to dig on today is how can you tell if you should consider podcasts as a channel for your own company, your own product, your own service as a way to scale up customer acquisition and maybe brand building or other pieces? And then how do you go about testing and measuring? That's that whole black box piece of it. Why don't we go ahead and just jump right in and start with like, what does good look like for companies that are succeeding with podcasts as a growth channel? Yeah. Well, first of all, I think you should have a consider a second career as a hype man. I think you'd be fantastic at it. <laughs> but besides that second career, so with podcasts, good is really subjective when it comes to what the channel needs to do for a particular company. So if we think about good, are you a company that has realized that 75% of your acquisition comes from Facebook or from one platform? Are you a company who's realized that you've tapped out demand on paid search and you need to find a way to drive additional demand to drive searches for your brand, basically to raise your brand's profile? These are the kinds of questions that when companies are asking themselves what to do, often that means you need to add new channels to the media mix because... When we think about what digital channels are really good at, 
there's not a lot of what we call breakage in offline marketing. So breakage refers to the fact that if you're driving down the street and you're listening to radio, you don't have the ability right then to click on an ad and go right through to the different website or the product or whatever it is that you're being served an ad for, right? So basically this breakage creates an opportunity for companies to lose measurement. Whereas with digital media, you have what is a pretty closed loop, if you think about it, in terms of the ability for marketers to measure their results from advertising. So when it comes to an offline campaign for growth marketers specifically, because your goals are different if you're a brand advertiser, and we can talk about that later, for growth marketers, a good solid scaled podcast campaign, it should be a decent chunk of your channel mix. It should be comparable when you're looking at indirect results as well. Again, we can talk about that. But for the channel that has so much breakage, you really want to make sure you're measuring indirect actions as well as the direct actions that you hear. But if you see that a channel with fully attributed conversion activity is driving results that are similar to your other most successful paid channels, that to me is a sign that podcasts have really cemented themselves in your growth mix. Got it. And let's say I have not yet invested in podcast advertising. What should I expect? Well, first, when should I realize that now is probably the time that I should do that? Am I too late? Is it still too early for me to spend 10K a month on this sort of thing? How do I go about it? What does that look like? I would say like the budgets for podcast advertising range, like there are some advertisers who probably do spend 10K a month. And then there are some advertisers, some of the ones that we work with that are spending four or five, six hundred thousand dollars could even spend a couple of million dollars in the channel every month and really own the channel for your category. It's one of the last mediums on earth where that's possible at all, but possible for like that I know that it's a giant chunk of money, but if you think about what it would take, for example, to own the TV advertising landscape for a category, you can see that relative to that kind of scale, podcast is still nascent. It's still a burgeoning medium. You're not too late and you're not too early. A lot of the brands that you think of, like ZipRecruiter and Squarespace, they've been in this channel for the last six or seven years. They're tentpole advertisers in the channel. And so what that means is that they were in the channel in the early days when it was even more Wild West than it is now, but when it was really a lot more challenging to measure success, when downloads weren't standardized at all as a measurement of buying. There have been some opportunities in the last couple of years for reform. The industry, rather, has really self-regulated well in the context of the IAB stepping in and making download windows a standard measurement. There are beginning to be the signs that the medium is ripe for scaled advertisers to come in. When you think about when to advertise in it in the context of your own business, that's, I would say, if you find yourself becoming too reliant on one channel in your mix, that's a really sure sign that you should be looking for other channels. And I like podcast as a first channel to test into for offline because when I was in-house, I used it that way for myself. I went in-house and kind of hit the reset button on the program. I inherited an offline program, but it was was really more about brand building. And it wasn't being tied to customer acquisition as tightly as I personally require all of the channels that I invest in for growth to be. So when I thought about how to advertise that brand, 
I actually decided to go podcast first before I did a radio spot. And we produced a spot eventually and we went in market and it was great. But I went to podcast first because it helped me understand how do I communicate all of the value proposition and all of the visual cues that go with your audio when you do something like display or when you do something like video, you have a visual element. And so for a lot of marketers, podcasts are the first time they've ever done any kind of audio only marketing. And I like working with the hosts and producers and hearing what they say in ads. There was one host who just took a different angle than I did for vacation rentals. And it was something we wound up using throughout our copy for the rest of podcasts for the rest of my tenure there. And it's just those little things that you can learn from working within this channel. And it is relatively lower stakes to a channel like terrestrial radio or satellite radio to a certain extent. You can get learnings on audio in a really cost-effective way. It's not cheap. You know, it's not like Facebook or Google where you could just throw a couple hundred dollars at a hypothesis and, and do an A-B and get a really quick result. It definitely is a channel that requires you to be a little more mature in your marketing and media mix. But we've helped some advertisers launch it really early on if the category that they're in is a right fit. And they've seen success from that. And it's become one of their like tentpole channels. So the answer is like everything else in marketing and advertising, it depends. But yeah. Okay, interesting. So generally, you'll have some other channels built out unless for some reason your product or service like just aligns really perfectly with the channel. Oh, no, I would say when you think about it, like you should probably most of the time people are starting with either paid search or paid social. And there's a reason for that. You can test out all of your hypotheses. You can get a good return on results in a relatively short time frame for a relatively low cost. And that I would almost always start in one of those two channels. If I'm starting paid marketing and growth, those are just two channels that I would almost always start in. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So one of the things that you mentioned was that you talk with the podcast host to figure out the message. Like to me, this is one of the things that feels really different about podcast advertising than most other channels, like maybe TV sponsorship ad spots, like the transitions before the baseball game comes back for commercial break, where you have the person like read the ad. But it sounds like one of the benefits of this is that it becomes contextualized to the show and in the voice of the host themselves. That's the magic of it. That is the reason why we haven't ruined podcasts with advertising yet consumers still like the ads. Like there are super cuts online of some of the funniest and best ads in the channel. And I remember coming to this after like being like a grizzled veteran of display banners and just like being like, wait, people don't hate your ads. Like people are now excited. I've never had people excited to hear that I work in advertising. When people hear that I work in podcast advertising, they're like, oh my God, that's so, I listen to this show and, and it's just so, it's so funny. But to answer your question, the best way to do podcast ads for growth, and I am a firm believer the best way to do them from a paid perspective is to do what are called baked in host read ads. And that just refers to the fact that the ads are embedded in the episode. There are publishers that are starting to dynamically insert inventory. And while it could work for some brands who are focusing more on upper funnel metrics, when you are focusing on lower funnel metrics and are responsible for customer acquisition, 
we've long found that the best ads for that purpose are host read mid-roll advertisements pre-rolls and and to a much lesser extent post-rolls can be effective it's just that when we're talking about the hard and fast rules as opposed to let's get experimental when we start out advertisers our mix is almost always a very healthy dominant mix of those mid-roll advertisements and when you're working with hosts There's nothing worse than a host that you hear all the time speak really naturally. And then when they get to the ad, they start reading it really robotically like this. And you can tell that they did not write this and they have no investment in it. And so what you want to do is keep the copy really organic and keep it very succinct. As marketers, we can tend to get fluffy. We get really fancy. We think that everybody's going to talk about our brand the way that we do. And that is not the case. (laughs) Everybody talks about different things in their own voice. And so the best way to work with hosts and producers and networks is to give them basically bullet points on what the brand is, include a pithy intro or two, a couple of options in case the host tends to be one of those hosts who maybe came from radio and needs a little bit more structure. You really want to keep it under... Usually they say 180 words, 200 words is what you want for a produced 60-second ad. For podcast, I like to keep it from 120 to 150, if you can, for a 60-second spot. And what that does is it gives the host enough room to really flex and to have their own voice. Like, Matt, you don't accept ads for this podcast, much to my chagrin. (laughs) But if you did, I have a feeling your ads would wind up being really organic and kind of like the way this conversation has gone. Like, oh, that's interesting. Let's talk about this. And that's, that's how the best ads go. Like hosts meander off into a topic that's tangentially related sometimes. And then they bring it back and they tie it together. And then you have a four minute long ad. And again, it's one of the last mediums on earth where that can happen. So what you want to do is engender that. Um, And so what we also do is we'll get on onboarding calls with hosts and most of the time it's producers, but when we can get on with hosts, it's really fun. And you wind up starting to brainstorm about the content and they ask you questions about the product. A lot of the time, the way that we work at Right Side Up is that we are channel managers who are consulting and working with you in-house. And so we are for all intents and purposes, part of the team, we can brief your product cold. Sometimes we'll have somebody from brand on, but more often than not, we're just a brand ambassador that's basically taking people through like, here's what the goals are for the program. Here's what we want to get out in the read. Here is all of the important parts of the product. Here's a couple of things we'd love for you to maybe not say and stay away from. And we also do what we call an onboarding packet for hosts and producers so that let's just say, I'm sure this never happens, but if you get distracted and you're maybe not giving your full attention to a conference call, obviously there's nothing that would distract us. There's nothing going on. So if that does happen and you don't pay attention on the onboarding call that we were nice enough to all schedule together, then you have like a cheat sheet. And so you know what to say, what not to say. And when you give hosts these parameters, like for the most part, they're adult human beings who are professionals and do this for a living. And so if you overly script it, like why do host read ads then? That's not the host voice. That's your voice coming through their mouth, right? Yeah, I love that because you you wind up with this incredibly organic 
plug for something in a way that you wouldn't have necessarily otherwise gotten. And then it feels even more believable for the listener, right? Like trust it more because it's actually coming from that person rather than them reading that script. I love that, which which is a great time for me to talk about an organic produce delivery. No, no, I'm kidding. Yeah, right. We've actually had some stuff. So we've broken customer service lines. We've broken websites. We've broken a supply chain. What else have we done? Oh, okay. So funny one. So I was working with this snack company and Joe Rogan is one of the most, the Joe Rogan experience, if you're not familiar with it, is one of the most scaled podcasts in the world. Joe is like, an incredible ad reader and just like he's an excellent media personality. All of the representation that he has surrounding him is just really, really solid. We were working with him on behalf of a snack advertiser a few years ago, and he loved, like loved these, I'll never forget the name of them, Big Island Pineapple, which was like these dried pineapples and Sriracha Cashews. And he would combine them. And when you heard him talk about it on the ad, Every time we ran a Rogan spot, we would sell out of that. So then I convinced them to send like these like industrial size bags, like the stuff that like you would send to like Google's offices or something. So we sent those to his house and <laughs> it became like a whole like dumb thing. But that's like, we've done really fun stuff like that. We work with Mrs. Fields and we've done custom opportunities and engagements. We did something with Armchair Expert last year armchair expert with Dax Shepard is a personal favorite podcast of mine, but it's also just like their ads are incredible. Monica is his producer and also his co-host. And so we did this fun thing with them where we did a armchair expert box of cookies and 20% of the proceeds were donated to Twice for Tots. So it's just one of those channels that you can get kind of weird in. And that is how you wind up with like Bill Burr doing a 30 minute ad read that includes a song for MeUndies. You're like, how does this happen? And it's just, it happens organically because podcasts still sustain a really high level of production. I've worked with some of the most talented producers in my career working in podcast advertising. And you have these companies like Vox and Slate who are just producing incredible content for all mediums, but then taking those production teams and that muscle and applying that to this nascent medium. And it's just, it's still that part of that time in the channel where it still feels really fun, still feels very organic. It really is a lot still about how you know it's a very relational business. And to your point about it being a little bit of a black box, historically, the space has been really agency dominated with a few brands who have really scaled this in-house. And there are definitely, like I spent 12 years of my career at agencies. I know a lot of what I know today because of agencies. And I think from being an in-house marketer, there are times that you deploy agencies and times that you don't. With podcasts in particular, it really depends on how fast you want to get started on what you're trying to accomplish. But if you have access to subject matter experts and you can work with somebody, if you can hire somebody, that is obviously ideal. I will say there's, and I'm not saying this to be like, look at what unicorns we are. There's maybe 30 to 40 people who can do this at scale without outside resources. And six of them are on our team with me. So so it's like, it's a very nascent medium. If you have access to resources and to people who know how to do this, there is no reason you can't do this in-house because it is basically paid partnerships. 
And then you just have to apply really solid growth principles to it. So if you have a solid growth organization, media is media. Media is a series of transmission tools that are designed to send a message. And podcasts are, are like any other medium, but they have like weird peculiarities, just like any other medium. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, all right, we just spent a lot of time talking about some of the amazing parts of podcast advertising. I want to talk about the black boxy type part of it is maybe a little bit more tricky, which is like, how do you exactly measure the output of your investment? I'm assuming that there's a much longer lag time because you do the right recording and then the downloads, they have a long tail and then you got to get the person to hear it a couple times before. Okay, yeah, could you just talk about some of the attribution and tracking? I would say for every new business prospect, whatever call that I get pulled into, it's so funny that this comes up on literally 85 to 90% of them. It's the biggest challenge in podcast advertising. It's the biggest challenge for offline advertising, but it, it's very much a problem in podcasts because if you think about the delivery mechanism for the channel, it's an RSS feed. Honestly, like RSS feeds are so 2003, so 2000 and late. So when we think about how to measure activity that occurs by virtue of exposure to that RSS feed, essentially, you can see that your options are going to be limited. And then you have Apple who are just so open and don't care about privacy at all being pretty much the dominant player. So Spotify and, and other platforms are certainly nipping on their heels. But you see that like Apple has kind of black boxed a lot of the metrics out on this for years. And so Matt, I'm sure that you have access to and have looked at some of your podcast analytics and iTunes or by virtue of looking on the podcast app. But that is a relatively new thing. Like that's been developed in the last couple of years. Before that, shows didn't even have much access to like their own data, let alone advertisers having access to it. So when we think about how to triangulate signal, the other thing about this is that podcasts are not measured by any kind of media accreditation company like a Nielsen or an MRI or a Kantar or anything like that. Not yet. So that becomes a challenge for brand marketers who are trying to answer questions about reach and frequency and exposure. And so you've probably noticed that podcasts are disproportionately advertised on by high growth tech companies and companies who are either like some form of VC or PE or some, some form of private investment and privately owned. There's a reason for that. These companies know that the channel and the advertisements and the investments that they're making in it are profitable for them. And so if you look at an advertiser who's been in the space for a while, and actually if you look at any advertising program that you hear at scale, you've probably noticed that it's some form of go to blank.com and enter code blank for blank. It's a very transactional thing. And so the reason that we use promo codes or vanity worlds in ads, well, part of it harkens back to radio because that is how you handle breakage in radio, right? It's some combination of a URL or some form of drive to activity where you're able to capture a direct response. 
And for the indirect response, so for people who are familiar with paid search or paid social, what you're thinking of is like your view through conversion, essentially, that's basically Halo. And the way we quantify that is usually via survey-based attribution. And what I mean by survey-based attribution is if you've ever gone through an e-commerce checkout flow, have you noticed that they'll ask you where you heard about them? Yep. The reason they do that is not just because they're nosy. It's because they're trying to understand, like, besides the channel that you just came in on. So, for example, when I ran podcast advertising in-house, we started noticing, and I predicted because of my paid search background, I was like, hey, brand search is going to go absolutely nuts. And they're like, okay, okay, it's been going up anyway. I'm like, okay, when we launch X, Y, and Z, it's going to go up. Make sure we're uncapped. Because we don't want, like if somebody's searching for the brand, I want to make sure that they're coming through and they're getting the experience that I've designed for them because that is a super high value prospect. That's somebody who is aware of your brand and who is taking an action in order to find you, right? But they had to find you somehow. They had to know to search you. They didn't just wake up this morning and be like, I'm going to search for Drift today. Like That is not how it works. So they heard something and it was most likely an advertisement or it was a friend or a family member or a podcast like this one mentioned it. And so what you wind up seeing is you'll be able to understand the direct way that that consumer came in, right? They came in from branded paid search. But when you ask them where they heard about you, that's when you start to understand what kind of an impact the other channels in your marketing mix are having on the consumer journey that takes them from prospects to customers. And that's where you are able to triangulate this indirect activity to understand, okay, for every one consumer who comes in direct on a podcast URL, because we have a compelling offer, it's not the same as our web or app offer. So there's a reason for people to enter the code, right? We want to make sure that whenever we're trying to measure activity from some sort of an offer or some sort of, if you're doing direct mail, like make sure you don't do an offer that's exactly the same as your default web offer, because what's going to happen, and it's the same thing that all of us do, like Google and the internet has basically made us lazy in some ways. And so if we go to a website and I see that the same 10% off that I heard in the ad, I'm probably just going to click on the button and take the discount. And so that could actually wind up disrupting your direct attribution. And obviously, if you disrupt your direct attribution, your survey data becomes less meaningful because then you're not multiplying on a solid base. And zero times seven is still zero. So that's just math. Yeah, it makes sense. And it gives a better context as to why those questions are always plugged in at the end of those sign-up forms, right? Because then you could start to figure out, all right, well... It's a very different story if your traffic is going up 10% every month and 80% of that is coming from your podcast advertising investment versus like, oh, you're just, you have organic growth across your brand, right? Those are two very, very different stories. Exactly. And and often what winds up happening is that you want to run the survey for a certain amount of time. So you have a baseline that you can do baseline removal. If you can't do that before you launch your campaigns, it's not the end of the world, but it is really nice to have baseline removal before because otherwise you might have to shut off advertising at some point in order to understand what the actual incremental growth or incrementality looks like. So whenever you can launch a how did you hear about a survey as early as you can. Put it after your acquisition 
So a mistake that a lot of companies make is that they'll put it early on in the flow. And that might seem like, oh, I can get a better sample. You can, but I'd rather have it post-conversion because that's the activity that I want to understand what motivated you to take that activity. That's the one that I really care the most about, right? So you should put it after that activity because that'll help you understand what made these consumers who heard this and came through the flow, like how did they decide to do this? And that is a question that if you can answer that question in your marketing mix, you can start to make decisions on where to put money based on that. And that is when you start to more from like, a paid acquisition program that's healthy, but is really digitally based and is kind of only rooted in one or two channels to a more holistic campaign that has multiple touch points. And you lessen your reliance on really any one channel. And that is why this combination of direct response and survey is why you've only heard a lot of come to blah, 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 and enter promo code Z for 15% off. The reason you've heard so much of that is because those brands know that they're making money. They know that they're acquiring customers and they know how much those customers are worth. And that's why you hear so much direct response in the channel. Some of it is also because the channel is built on the bones of radio and radio advertising. There's a lot of radio ad professionals who have uh, made their way to podcast. So some of that is that, but a lot of it is just because these companies are doing some form of attribution that's similar to what I just laid out and have determined that the channel is successful for them and that the show is successful for them. There are some pixel-based attribution solutions. They are growing in prominence. There's definitely still some challenges around acceptance and how those attribution methodologies compare to what has been the standard for so long for growth advertisers. But there are a few players in the space like Chartable, Podsites, Barometrics, all have a slightly different approach to it, but all are doing some form of like essentially view through, but pixel-based measurement in addition to survey that can give you, it can give you some data on range and frequency, and it can give you some unique data in the context of the mix. It's not an absolute like must do for every brand and every advertiser yet, because again, it's just the adoption is not quite there yet to where I'd say, oh, thank God, like somebody has come to save us and has given us pixel-based measurements so we can toss out the survey-based measurement that's worked for us. I'm more of a fan of running multiple measurement methodologies simultaneously because I'm greedy and I want all of the data I can get. And then I want to determine which one is the most stable. And a lot of the time when you predict these experiments, it really does help to have a fail-safe measurement methodology because, you know, nothing ever goes wrong when we launch campaigns, right, Matt? Everything just totally goes according to plan ever, ever. So yeah, that's one of those instances where it's like, you really want to set up the experiment as best you can. One of the nicest things a client here said to me as we were ending our campaign was he had worked with a couple of agencies in the space and he'd tried to do it in-house and we worked with them for... I want to say less than six months, had to be. And we determined that podcasts were a negative ROI channel for them. And it was the insurance category and they were a really specific product. And we tried a bunch of different approaches, but we felt really confident. We were like, no, podcasts just don't work for you. We're sorry, but here's what we would do. And and here are some other things you can try. And the best compliment he gave me was, well, now I know it's a real negative. 
I'm not going to go to anybody else. He's like, that's not why we're not working together. He's like, I just literally don't. I, I know now you've given me this knowledge to say I should not invest any more money in podcast. Isn't that like what you want from an experiment? You want a positive or a negative. You don't want anybody involved who's like necessarily wants the action to go a certain way, right? You want to make sure that whether the result is positive or negative, that you get a definitive result. That is, for me, any channel you're testing into. You need to make sure that you get a definitive result. Obviously, we want to make it work. Everybody wants to unlock additional customer acquisition channels. It's in our best interest to make podcast advertising work. But sometimes you just, you can't force a fit. And that is one of the things that I would encourage brands to just open yourselves to the fact that some media is going to work for you and some mediums are just not. There are some brands who just can't, they need the visual element for a certain reason. Or for example, when I used to do a lot of print, like we used to do stuff where we would, I did a lot of healthcare marketing in my career. And we used to do stuff where we would put a piece of the patch on the actual print ad because like it was really important to get that tactile feeling or to have a visual element as opposed to an animated element or an audio element. So it's just, there's different reasons that you choose each channel. You just want to make sure that with podcast advertising, some of the brands and categories and advertisers that tend to do the best, D2C e-com usually works very well. If you have product market fit and you're a D2C e-com company, you should be able to make podcast advertising work. If you can't, then there's probably some reason like maybe podcasts are a little too young skewing young skewing. I don't even know what that means, but like podcasts as a channel are younger skewing than like, let's say traditional radio. So if you have a product that is, has a little bit of an older demographic skew, it's going to be a little more challenging. It's not impossible, but it's going to be a little more challenging. And if you're trying to reach seniors, obviously podcasts are not the right channel for you. Look at radio, look at TV, look at other channels where you can also segment for those users. On the other side of that, if you do have a product that You'd like to reach somebody on the earlier side of the adoption curve. You know, as a channel, podcasts are in like early majority right now. And so it has a higher proportion of early adopters of technology to it. A lot of podcast listeners tend to be more affluent. The channel skews a little more affluent as a whole. Like any medium, what you actually have on your media plan is going to determine the demographics of your plan. But just speaking broadly, podcast listeners tend to be a little higher educated than the general population, tend to make a little bit more money, tend towards earlier adoption of technology, and also are like, they natively transact online. The mechanism to download a podcast, you can't accidentally tune into a podcast, right? You have to like (laughs) download it. (laughs) You had to, at some point, even if you have, if you have the podcast on auto download now, we can talk about that because the way that podcasts download and listen is a unique thing in the medium to other channels, but you had to take an action at some point to get this content. And so there is that like, it's a slightly different channel, even than the other channels in the audio mix. It's the most unique channel I've, I've worked in, which is probably why I like it the best or well, not the best, but for right now, until somebody like comes out with the next channel, I'm one of those people that always wants to know, like, what's the next channel? What are we going to do next? And like, when I came to podcast advertising, I like click through rates had diminished. I was convinced we were ruining websites with display banners. I was like this grizzled veteran. I was 30 years old. I'm like, 
like this grizzled veteran of display. And I'm like, this is terrible. So when I first looked at podcasts, like I fell in love because the conversion rates, this is, I'm a nerd, the conversion rates, I had to ask the analyst I was working with, the agency I was at, if he made a typo because the conversion rates were that much better than what I was used to seeing in digital display. Like, let's think about it, right? You're taking a direct action. So let's just say you hear an ad for Calm, the meditation app, and we work with them. You hear an ad for Calm and you're like, this sounds incredible. I could definitely use some of their sleep stories to go to sleep at night. Like this just makes sense for me. So you go through, you go to their website and you're like, this is exactly what I thought it would be, right? Because you've been prepped. You know what you're expecting. The host has probably taken you through it. Maybe they've done like a soothing read. There's like a, you're already familiar with the brand. So you tend to see a higher conversion rate than you do from other paid media channels. And again, you're also benefiting from the nascency of the channel. One of the unique things about podcasts is that it's a finite inventory supply. So there might be something like 800,000 or 850,000 podcasts now. Honestly, I, the number changes depending on who you talk to. But only somewhere between, we believe, seven to 10,000 of them can be sponsored. And that's at any scale. And so when you think about the podcasts that are like on the Joe Rogan scale or the Dak Shepard or the Daily or any of these giant podcasts, it's like there's still only a certain number of mid-roll advertisements available on them. Let's just say, for example, for a show that produces content and publishes, let's say it's a weekly show and it publishes 40 weeks out of the year and it has three mid-roll advertisements per week. That's 120 ads, period, for the entire year. Like you want to place an advertisement in a show, you basically want to do flighting. That's like one week on. And then it depends. It varies. It can be anywhere from one to three weeks off. We personally favor like one week on, two to three weeks off, depending on the show, depending on the scale and the size of the show. And just like, there's a ton of factors that go into how we flight media. But for the most part, giving two weeks off in between ad integrations gives you time for consumption to catch up with spend. And what I mean by that is, let's just say that anybody listening to this podcast, probably somewhere of half of the people who listen to the show probably had it download within the first 48 hours of the show being published. So from there, we usually tend to see downloads taper off after a week. But within the first seven days of an episode dropping, you usually see most of the download and activity that you're going to find for that show. When we think about podcasts, there's evergreen podcasts and they're like daily topical shows, right? So let's say, for example, a show that's about political news might have a really different consumption curve than like one of my colleagues has a podcast about the history of Poland. So let's use that as an example. So if you're really interested in, I don't know, let's just say a period of Krakow's development in the late 1800s, you're probably going to be interested in that topic if it's today or two years from now. And you can always browse through a show's catalog, right? So I'm sure there are some topics that you've done for this podcast, Matt, where like you'll see people download and listen to it like a year after you publish it. It's because they're interested in that particular topic, where for a daily or bi-weekly political news show, like it's stale content. You're not going to listen to 
I mean, unless I don't know why you would, but if you wanted to go back and listen to podcasts that were recorded around the 2016 election, you could, I don't know why you would want to, but like in theory, you could go back years in a podcast archive and get like a snapshot of what daily life was like then. But it's more unlikely that you'd be doing that just for kicks. So that's the consumption curve tends to differ. But for the most part, we tend to find that most podcasts are downloaded within the first week of them dropping with a lot of that download activity, obviously coming in from automatic downloads concentrated in the first couple of days after an episode drops, right? But then in terms of consumption, now that is where it gets interesting. So advertisers do not have much visibility into consumption. The cool thing about some of the pixel-based measurement is that it does give you some of that visibility. And there's also ways like some publishers will give you some data on consumption. It's more of like an ad hoc thing. It's not a metric that we're buying on yet. I'm sure we will be buying on lessons in the near-ish term future. But it took us a really long time to get to downloads being a standard window of measurement. The way that the IAB guidelines work, they're the IAB Podcast Measurement Technical Guidelines, version 2.0. Essentially, the way the downloads work is, let's just say, Matt, that before all of this started, if you were commuting home and you live in Los Angeles, I'm making this up, and you're driving from Hollywood to Culver City because you like pain, you might have like an hour-long commute and you might hit a gajillion cell towers on your way home or like, I don't know, 20. And every time you hit that cell tower, you're pinging it for a download, right? And so you know what I'm going to say, you could wind up being 20 downloads, 30 downloads, 40 downloads. And so five or six years ago, when advertisers like Zip and some of the other early advertisers were buying, you didn't know what a download meant. Download could be an hour window, it could be a five minute window, it could be a 24 hour window, right? And so the IAB came in and was basically like, no, this isn't how this works. You can't have a medium grow if you don't all agree to a certain set of guidelines, right? And so that is why the 24-hour window for download has become a standard of measurement. It was a really, it was a slog for publishers who went to adopt it. I'm really grateful that they did. The publishers in this space are some of the best partners I've worked with in media. The industry has been really largely self-regulating to an extent that I think it took us a longer time to get to in digital, to be frank. And so these companies embraced the 24-hour download standard. It took some longer than others, but there were definitely some vanguards who went ahead and did it early. Now, most of the downloads that we buy are on a 24-hour window, but some publishers did see a decrease in downloads of like 30 to 40%, depending on how they were measuring it before. So all of that said, that's how downloads work, right? So consumption is a totally different thing. Consumption might be, like I said, if you're interested in that episode of History of Poland, you're going to go back and you're actually going to download it and you're going to listen to it then. And so you're going to download, you're going to consume it really quickly, but it may be a long time after it published. Well, there's this other thing where let's just say you download an episode of Pod Save America and you automatically download PSA and you have three weeks of episodes waiting for you because you just haven't had a chance to listen to it, right? Like right now, maybe like you're a little bit delayed in your habits, you might commute, you might have other priorities going on. And so you might sit down and say, Ooh, okay, I want to listen to like these three episodes because of X, Y, and Z. 
And then you start consuming those episodes. Well, that's going to be your consumer's first exposure to the ad. There used to be times where when you're flying, you know, you have a lot of downtime in the airport and sometimes you don't have an internet connection and you're like, oh, I do want to listen to this archive of forever 35 episodes I have saved on my phone because this is what I'm working with. And also I'm really excited that I have the opportunity to listen to this right now. So I'm going to listen to all of the episodes from last month that I missed because I didn't have a chance to listen to them. That delay in consumption is an advertiser's nightmare because you now have to like wait, essentially. I like to say like, you don't really have a sense for how a podcast campaign is going to do until like four to six weeks into the campaign. And so for advertisers who are used to digital, where you're like, you know, within a few hours sometimes, (laughs) like definitely a few days or a few weeks, it can be challenging for advertisers to understand like, no, we have to wait for the download curve to mature. We have to wait for the consumption curve to, to mature. And then we have to do a few episodes per show because not every consumer is going to listen to every show. Like there are people that obviously everybody who subscribes to this podcast can't wait until the next one comes out and downloads it and consumes it instantly. But for the rest of the podcast, those podcasts, it is a medium that conforms to people's lives. And that is one of the unique things about it. It's a really intimate medium. People, it's on demand, but it's an on-demand channel that you can place advertising in. And again, that's rare. When we think about how cord cutters, I know it's like cord cutters is a phrase that it's taken on a lot of meaning, but the channel does tend to reach a lot of people who have kind of like eschewed regular media Like they're harder to reach on broadcast. They're harder to reach by TV ads and like some of the tactics that marketers would use more traditionally. And so that is another reason why the podcast audience is so valuable. Like if you want to reach people who engage with new media, podcasts are a really, really good way to do it because it's still a new medium. Radio has been around for over a hundred years. Television has been around for decades now. So when we think about the fact that podcasts have only been around period for 20 years, and then advertising obviously came into the channel about halfway through that at any kind of scale, really more in like the last six or seven years. Now you start to get a perspective on how young this channel is and how like how self-regulating it is, essentially. It is a channel that like the FCC has not come out and regulated podcasts a ton yet as it grows in prominence as a medium and in adoption as a medium, I'm sure that's going to change. Cool. Well, I do have to say, this is one of the easier podcasts that I I have ever recorded because I barely had to say anything. And all of what you said was fascinatingly interesting. So I I appreciate it. And that's that you actually know your stuff here. So I I just want to say thank you so much again for joining on the podcast today. Oh, gosh, no, it was my pleasure. I have a lot of passion for this medium. It's just, it's nascent. It's new. Like I said, consumers don't hate the ads yet. They usually take some sort of action after hearing one. And it's one of the most unique ways that you can reach and impact your audience. So I just want to help companies do it well and do it better and help the medium scale. So thank you for the opportunity. This was awesome. Absolutely. All right. And for those of you listening, if you are a fan of this episode or any of the others, please hit the subscribe button. If you got any feedback, questions, anything like that, my email is matt at drift.com. Thank you as always so much for listening and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks again, Christina. Thanks. Thanks.